book of Matthew, in chapter 4. As you're finding that passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 4, I want to remind you for a moment about Martin Luther's 95 theses. Uh, You remember this was a list of 95 statements, 95 propositions that Martin Luther nailed to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And these 95 theses were posted by Luther to prompt discussion and debate about how far away from the Bible the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church in his day had strayed. Uh, Many look at the posting of those 95 theses on October 31st, 1517. They see that as the official start of the Protestant Reformation. and That's why you can call it Halloween. Uh, I like to call it Reformation Day. Uh, We remember the day that those 95 theses were posted. Now, when you're making a list of 95 theses, it matters which one you decide to put first. Uh, 95 statements is a lot, and clearly the one you choose to put at the top of the list is going to be significant. And so in your outline, I've given you the very first thesis of Martin Luther's 95 theses. And here it is, thesis one. When our Master and Lord, when our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, He called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. I would suggest that this is a thesis that needs to be heard afresh in our day. So often we think of repentance as a one and done kind of thing. We equate repentance with with walking an aisle or with being baptized. But repentance is what starts us off as Christians. And repentance is what should characterize our entire Christian lives. And so I ask you, does repentance characterize your life? I want to begin reading tonight in Matthew 4 and verse 12. We're going to read Matthew 4, verse 12 through verse 17. And verse 17 is going to be our focus, not only for tonight's message, but it's our theme verse for this whole study on repentance. And so we'll begin in verse 12, make special note of verse 17. Verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee... And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now what we have in verse 17 is a summary of the message that Jesus preached 
throughout his earthly ministry. We can see more of his message in the Sermon on the Mount. We could see more of his message in the Olivet Discourse or in many of the long sections of teaching that we have in the Gospel of John. But if we're going to summarize everything that Jesus taught during his years of ministry, and we're going to summarize it with one exhortation, here is the summary. Here is the message of Jesus Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have here a motivation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This kingdom is the kingdom of God. It's the great kingdom promised throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Put yourselves in the shoes of a first century Jewish person, or the sandals. Put yourself in the sandals of a first century Jewish person. They knew about this great kingdom that had been promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. They knew that this was going to be a kingdom with a great land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They had heard about this kingdom where they would be a people holy to the Lord. He would be their God. They would be His people. This was going to be a kingdom that would be a blessing to all the nations. And this was going to be a kingdom led by a great, great king. God had brought His people into the promised land, the land we now know as Palestine. And then when they got there, that land experienced famine and drought. The land was not continuously flowing with milk and honey. And yes, God made Israel His people and He became their God and He dwelt among them, but He dwelt behind curtains in a room that they could never enter. Not only that, the people forsook God. They were not a holy people. They they did not remain God's people. They continued to disobey God. Israel did have some great kings, but they were rare. Far more often, they had terrible kings. Every king of Israel fell into sin, and many of them led God's people into apostasy and into idolatry. In other words, Israel is well aware by the first century that the great kingdom of God promised to Abraham, it has not come yet. God's promise has not yet been fulfilled. And the prophets all speak of this day when a descendant of David will come and take his place on the throne of the great and the eternal kingdom of God. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And for 400 years, there's not even been a word from God. And then comes John the Baptist. And what is the message of John the Baptist? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then after him comes Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes as the king. And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The days of kingdom building are beginning. If you want to be a part of this great kingdom, if you want to be on that land flowing with milk and honey, if you want God as your God and you be a part of His people, if you want all of these promises made throughout the entire Old Testament, repent. Repent. And repentance is not just how to enter the kingdom. Repentance is how you live as a citizen of the kingdom. Uh, the word that Jesus uses here is in what's, what we would call the present active imperative. Okay? So it's present tense, 
It means do it now, right? Don't, don't do it yesterday. Don't do it. It's saying repent right now. And it's an imperative. It's a command. It's a present command. But it's an active, continuing command. It's the word metanoeo. So everybody say metanoeo. It doesn't just mean repent once. It means keep on repenting. Continuous action. As Luther said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, He called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The London Baptist Confession says it this way, Repentance is to continue through the whole course of our lives because of our body of death and its activities. It is everyone's duty to repent of particular known sins with particular care. In other words, even after you turn from your sins and you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you still have to deal with the old you. Your flesh continues to pull you back to your old way of life. The residue of sin still remains in you. And as you grow in Christ, you're going to discover more and more and more sin hiding in the crevices of your heart. And therefore, the lifestyle of a Christian is to be a lifestyle of regularly turning from sin and regularly turning towards holiness. Do you know what it is to be regularly putting away wicked thoughts, attitudes, words, and actions? Do you know what it is to regularly throughout your day be making conscious decisions to imitate Christ? I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this because I'm a Christian. I know what my Lord says about this. I'm going to follow Him in this moment. Do you know what it is to live that way? Friends, if you think of repentance as simply something you did years ago when you first became a Christian, you're not thinking about it rightly. We need to remember that it is possible to repent of evil once in your life and then only later to repent of doing good and to go back to evil. We're going to see that with Pharaoh. We're going to see moments with Pharaoh in the book of Exodus where under the threat of plague, or actually under the experience of plague, he's going to repent and he's going to say, Okay, Moses, pray for God to make this plague go. I'm going to let your people go. And as soon as the plague is gone, what happens to Pharaoh? He repents of his repentance. right? And he turns right back to evil. So true repentance has to happen every day. In the nitty-gritty of life, as we make conscious decisions to turn away from who we used to be and to obey Jesus in situation after situation. Now, lest you think I'm making a big deal about something small, I need to emphasize for us the centrality of repentance in the Bible. Repentance is not some small theme in the Scriptures. When we look at the Bible as God's message to you and God's message to me, repentance is not one tiny or small or minor part of that message. It is the thrust of God's message to you. It is at the heart of God's message to me. Meaning, if repentance isn't a major part of our lives, we've missed an essential and vital and major aspect of what God has been saying to us in His Word. 
Turning from sin and trusting Christ and obeying Him and the conscious decisions of everyday life, this, this is at the core of the gospel. Without repentance, the gospel is a sham. So consider the messengers of God in the Bible. The messengers of God in the Bible and what they proclaim. Uh, I'm going to just read several passages and I want you to just sit back and let them fall on you. I want you to feel the collective weight of these passages of Scripture. I think in your outline I put a place where you could put names of the different people who, who preach these things. Where do we find repentance preached in the Bible? Well, Moses preached repentance. Uh, Moses used the language of circumcising our hearts. Uh, he said in Deuteronomy 10, 16 and 17, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. David preached repentance. Psalm 7, verse 12, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. Isaiah issued the call to repentance. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. God spoke through Jeremiah, exhorting repentance. Jeremiah 25, verse 5. Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forevermore. Ezekiel proclaimed repentance. Ezekiel 18, beginning in verse 30, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Every one according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. The minor prophets called people to repentance. I could have read verses from every minor prophet. So I chose one minor prophet. Uh, I chose Joel as an ambassador of all of them, representing all of them. Joel 2, 12 and 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And He relents over disaster. As we come to the New Testament, we find John the Baptist preaching repentance. Uh, His message is summarized in the same way that Jesus' message was summarized. Matthew 3, 1 and 2, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, We see in our text that the earthly ministry of Jesus was a ministry of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But this was also 
the word that we find at the end of Jesus' ministry. Luke gives us some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven in Luke 24, 47. And there we find that Jesus commanded his disciples that repentance should be preached in his name. So how do we summarize the message that Jesus gave to the apostles to preach? He commanded that repentance be preached in his name. And so the twelve disciples were sent out by Jesus with a message of repentance. In fact, he gave them a practice mission. Do you remember that? He, he gave them a practice mission where they were to go into some of the, the villages of, of the, and towns of Israel. Uh, Mark 6.12, we read, They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. That was their message on their practice mission. And then after Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, the mission began in earnest, and the disciples were sent out into all the world. And now as apostles... What was to be their message? Peter said it in Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Paul was the apostle born out of due time. And he said his whole ministry was about calling people to repentance. Speaking before King Agrippa, Paul summarized his message this way in Acts 26, 19 and 20. He said, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout the whole region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. In the Revelation, what is the message that the exalted Jesus Christ gives to His churches? Over and over again, it's the message of repentance. Revelation 2.5 Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Revelation 2.16 Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Revelation 2, 21-22, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. Revelation 3, 3, Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now, I'm not trying to weary you with passage after passage. I want you to see that this is not some small message in the Bible. I have just given you a tiny, tiny fraction of passages in the Bible that speak of repentance. Whatever else God might be saying in the Bible, this much is clear. He calls us to be a people of repentance. Now, if repentance is that important, if repentance is that central to the message of the Bible, why do we hear it so seldom preached in God's churches today? 
If it runs through every page of the Bible, why does it not so often come from the pulpits of God's churches? Why is it so rare for preachers to speak on repentance? Today we have lots of talk about trusting Jesus and believing on Jesus, and that's good talk. We want to talk about trusting Jesus and believing Jesus, but we must also speak the other side of the coin. We must turn from our sins and come to Jesus. If we really trust Jesus, we're going to give up what He says is wicked. And we're going to start practicing what He says is good. Any faith that does not include repentance is not saving faith. So why is this message so seldom found in pulpits today? I want to mention five reasons repentance is being lost in American Christianity. Number one, Repentance is not being preached because of false ideas about church growth. False ideas about church growth. Put simply, many now think that having lots of people attend or join a church is the same thing as church growth. But when people are not truly coming to know Christ, when people are not truly coming to grow in Him and to turn from their sins, it's not church growth. People cannot come to know Christ without repentance. People can attend and join many of our American churches these days without repentance. There are many today who are so intent on growing their churches that they refuse to preach a gospel of repentance. They feel that preaching repentance would make people less eager to come to their church. What they say is, we need people to feel better about themselves. We need people to feel inspired and affirmed, not rebuked or told to mourn over their sin. Start preaching a message of repentance and the seats of your church will empty out fast. Joel Osteen pastors the largest church in the United States. The average attendance each Sunday morning is 43,000 people. There are pastors all over the country that want to lead mega churches like Joel Osteen's church. And they look to Osteen, how do you get to be like that? How do you get to have a big church like that? Well, what is Osteen's message? Just to quote his latest book, it doesn't matter who likes you or doesn't like you. All that matters is that God likes you, He accepts you, He approves of you. It's completely contrary to the message of repentance. One message says, you must change. God loves you in spite of who you are. But you must change. Osteen's message is, God affirms you exactly as you are. Osteen's message is the more popular message, and it always has been. But the message of Christ is the call to repent, to hate your sin, to turn from your sin, and to submit to Jesus and His ways. Number two, repentance is not being preached because of false ideas about salvation. False ideas about salvation. Ever since the Second Great Awakening, American Christianity has been plagued by Finneyism. We've talked about this before. Charles Finney the man who popularized being saved through some sort of action like walking down a church aisle towards the altar. And ever since Finney, many people have begun 
equating repenting and equating believing on Jesus with some action that you do at some moment in your life. And so repentance in the minds of many is a one-time only event. And after that, you've repented. And for many churches, it doesn't even matter if your life changes after that moment. Uh, Maybe you're still talking the way you talked before you repented. Maybe you're still acting the way you used to act. Maybe you're not giving up your old habits. Maybe there's no evidence that you're really committed to Christ. But you perform this action that they equate with repentance. And so they say you've repented. It's very unbiblical. It has much more in common with the rituals of Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. But true repentance is not a ritual. And it's not a one-time special act. Repentance is a way of life. It is a way of life that is constantly inclining towards, I want to do what Jesus says and to turn away from all that's against Him. In Romania, evangelicals are called repenters because they teach that you must actually have a changed life in order to consider yourselves a Christian. Uh, in Romania, they're called repenters as a, as a, as a dirty name. As a, it's what their enemies call them. They're, they're the repenters. But I would love for us to be known as the repenters. Right? I think it's a great name. Um, we want to be those people whose lives have been changed and who are daily dying to self and following Christ. Number three, repentance is not being preached because of unrepentant pastors unrepentant pastors. And here I'm just being blunt with you. Too often, preachers will not stand in the pulpit and will not call the congregation to repent of this sin or that sin because the preacher himself knows he is guilty of this sin or that sin. Uh, Here at Mount Hermon, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, so I'm not allowed to skip texts that I don't particularly like. Um, I'm as often having to step on my toes as stepping on anybody else's toes. But in many churches, the pastors choose each week what to preach on. And there are certain subjects that maybe hit a little close to home. And so the preacher can simply avoid those subjects. Frankly, there are many sins that pastors may be caught in themselves that can be easily seen by the congregation. If a pastor has a quick temper, for example... The congregation will begin to to notice that and he might be tempted to never really preach on the sin of anger because he knows he'll be exposing himself. Now, all pastors are sinners. And if pastors only preach on those areas of Christianity that they themselves are strong in, there are a lot of passages that are never going to be preached. Pastors should seek to be so godly that they don't stand before their people as hypocrites as they preach God's truth But at the end of the day, the responsibility of a pastor is to proclaim the whole counsel of God to the whole body, even to himself. And so we cannot let the sins of the pastor keep us from preaching the truths of repentance. Number four, repentance is not being preached because of the fear of man. The fear of man. When we read the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we see that they identified sins specifically and publicly. They called people out in their sermons. 
They spoke directly about various groups of people in the the nation. They spoke boldly. They spoke clearly. And guess what? They made a lot of enemies. And they had a lot of people that were against them. The truth is, when we speak the truth about sin, and when we call people to turn from sin, it can create problems in relationships. If a pastor is worried about job security or pleasing others who who lead in the congregation, or making sure not to offend those who are big givers to the church, he's going to find himself toning down what the Bible doesn't really permit him to tone down. Jerry Bridges wrote a great little book called Respectable Sins, about these sins that we so often treat as small and insignificant, even though the Bible treats them as a big deal. And because these sins are more respectable sins, pastors might be afraid to to say too much about them. They they might be worried about the consequences. Don't forget that a leader as great as the Apostle Peter fell prey to this. We're told in Galatians 2 that Peter forsook his ministry to the Gentiles, a ministry given to him in Acts 10. He separated himself from the Gentiles, refused to eat with them. And Paul tells us that Peter acted in a way that was out of step with the gospel. Why? Out of fear of what Jewish Christians from Jerusalem might say. In other words, it was fear of man. Peter was afraid of what other people might say to him. Mount Hermon, the fear of man is a strong temptation that can lead any of us into disobedience. I certainly feel its pull. And I fear that it has led many preachers to give up their responsibility before God to preach the main message of the Bible, the message of repentance. Number five, repentance is not being preached because of moral apathy. Moral apathy. Too often preachers are failing to weep over their own sins and over the sins of their congregations. Too often, preachers are far too unconcerned about the holiness of the church. Richard Owen Roberts says, There exists a tragic lack of moral earnestness among religious leaders. Even in cases where repentance is accurately taught and preached, it is commonly done with such lack of moral energy and vital spiritual concern that few indeed... Catch the spiritual urgency of biblically mandated repentance and respond accordingly. The prophets called for God's people to wail and to lament because of their sins. But the prophets themselves were weeping first. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because of the tears he shed for the wicked people of Judah. How much more should pastors be the first to grieve over the sins of themselves and of the people of God? And then how we ought to call the people of God to grieve over our sin. So we've seen Jesus' message is for us to repent, to live a lifestyle of repentance that we might be citizens of His kingdom. Repentance is a mark of the citizen of heaven even while that citizen lives here on earth. We've seen how utterly important this message of repentance is. It is all over the Bible. 
And we've seen some reasons why repentance is being lost in our day, why it's not being heralded from the pulpits as it ought to be. Now, next time we're going to begin jumping into the real question of, okay, what is repentance and how do we do it? How do we live this way? But I want to give three implications for us as we close out tonight and as we really are beginning to jump into this study. Number one, pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. Pray that that we will serve you well. Pray that God would protect us from the dangers that I've just mentioned. We are certainly feeble men who, apart from God's grace, can very well fall prey to those dangers. There are sins in us as leaders that we need to be continually repenting of. And I certainly know what it is to struggle with the fear of man. I want you to like me. I want you to like me. And you want to be liked as well. But if I truly love you, I can never let my desire to be liked keep me from speaking the truth in love. Certainly I sense in my own heart the danger of spiritual and moral apathy. I know that I don't grieve over my own sins the way I wish I grieved over my own sins. And I think this moral apathy is an Ebola virus that is a contagion all over our country. That almost all of us are infected with this moral apathy of belittling our sins and not grieving over them as we ought. So pray that God would give your leaders tender hearts and tender consciences so that we can preach about repentance with truth and with sincerity. Number two. Prepare your heart for the rest of this study. Prepare your heart for the rest of this study because over the next few services, we are really going to dig into what repentance is, what it looks like, how to practice it on a regular basis. Eventually, we're going to talk about what corporate repentance is like, what it's like for a nation to repent, what it's like for a church to repent together. But none of that will matter if you haven't become convinced in your mind about how important this is. And so let me urge you right now to make this an issue of high priority in your life. There are few subjects that we will ever study together as a church that are more important than this one. And frankly, I don't know that there is anything that we can do as a church that is more likely to bring revival and the blessing of God than repentance. If we go from simply learning about repentance to actually being a repentant people and living this way, there is good reason to believe that God is going to draw near to us and to bless us and to do good things among us. It is God who chooses when and where He will bring a revival, but many a revival has begun with Christians repenting together. Finally, number three, join me in praying for our church in these days. Pray that God would give us a spirit of repentance. Pray that God would give us a deep hatred of our sin and a deep love for holiness and a firm conviction to obey Jesus in every circumstance. Pray that God would open our eyes to what we need to turn from as individuals, what we need to turn from as families, what we need to turn from as a church, and that He would move our wills to do so. And finally, pray that our Savior, the head of this church and all true churches, pray that He will make our light purer and our light brighter 
for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.